Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, uh, hello, church. Uh, Good to to be with you. Hello, online church family. Glad that you're joining in. Oh, man. I love you guys. I really do. I've met every single one of you, and you're all lovely. I've even met you online when I visited your house. Remember that? I have a camera that that, that you're looking at me right now. I'm actually, I can see you. Put some pants on. Um, I love you guys so, so much, Um, but a little bit of confession. I don't love everybody I meet. Anybody with me, you won't confess to it here, but anybody a little bit bummed that the quarantine's over? Because... You know, you got to be around those people again, and uh, my goodness, I think I would have survived. You know, don't get me wrong, I I love people, just not when I have to be around them, you know? I would have thrived, like in the 1840s when we didn't have to be connected with everybody all the time. Remember back with technology that was barely technology, you know, like the, the telegraph, this is how we had to communicate with people. Dots and dashes. Think about all the wonderful excuses you would have had to not receive somebody's message. Oh, sorry, sweetie, I only got the dashes. I didn't know what you said. And then your whole ability to communicate, you didn't even have a telegraph in your home. You had to go down to the mercantile and talk to Buford. Buford can't spell. He's messing up the messages. You didn't ever have to connect. It was wonderful. When I grew up, we had the rotary phone. Oh, this was a wonderful piece of technology because to dial the number, you had to stick your finger in the hole of the first number, and then you rotated that cycle around and then you removed your finger. And while it made its way all the way back to the beginning, you could go cook a meal, you could clean the toilet, and then you came back and you got working on the second number. And then the only way anybody could reach you is if you were right next to the phone when they happened to call. Oh, that was great. I would just was gone all the time, and I never had to answer the phone. Well, eventually, you know, technology caught up. They figured out a way where people could get to you when you weren't even there. Voicemail. Oh, for a while there, you had the voicemail machine built into the phone with the cassette tape. If somebody called while you were gone, then the tape would kick in, and it would record their message, and you'd come home, and then the light is blinking. Oh, no. Somebody wants to talk. Who called? Press play. Hey, Ron, it's Jim. And then the tape would eat the message. 
And you'd be like, yes, I don't have to call him back. It was fantastic. There was so much back then that just made life slow and disconnected. Now, now everybody's got a cell phone. Every single one of you here, you've got your own cell phone. I can reach you every single moment, all the time. You can get information 24-7. Remember when you used to have to go to the library to learn something? If you're not real familiar, a library is a building that has books inside. Books are these amazing creations. They're pieces of paper that have information written down and in between pieces of cardboard or leather. You, you had to walk into a library and waste hours and hours looking for the information that you wanted. Dewey Decimal System. Oh, this was my favorite. Dewey invented a whole system. And it was numbers and letters that helped you track down where in this tremendous building your information was. And after two weeks, you'd find the book that you were looking for and you'd open it up. But the beautiful thing about the library was the whole principle of the library was based on, shh, you can't talk to anyone. I loved it. Well, eventually they replaced the library too with the internet because they want to be able to get you information quick and be able to talk to people while you're getting your information. But even at the beginning of the internet, it didn't work because it was dial-up. Oh, AOL dial-up was the best. You, you used your phone line to call out, to attach you to the internet. And while it was trying to dial, it would make these horrible cat dying sounds. And after 48 days, it would connect you with the internet. And you couldn't even connect with other people then because... If someone tried to call you while you were on the internet, it would disconnect your service. You've just spent six months looking for your information on the internet. Somebody would call you, disconnect, and it would say, goodbye. It was wonderful. These were the good old days when we didn't have to talk to anybody. Not anymore, right? Now, obviously, I, I'm exaggerating, but the reality is today, we are more interconnected than we've ever been, and yet at the same time, more lonely than we've ever been. And it's one thing for us to experience loneliness just in our relationships and our day-to-day, -day, but related to the conversation that we've been having for the last couple of weeks about our old life about our struggles, about our sin. It's an entirely different story than when you and I have to be lonely in our own sin. And that's exactly what the enemy would love to keep us in a perpetual state of loneliness and never be able to have any help getting out of our old life, never be able to have any help overcoming our struggles, overcoming our, our sins. I've been following along from afar with you in this series, Done With That. What does it look like to escape the struggles of our old life? And Pastor Bob Merritt's book has been such a phenomenal help and roadmap for me, even been reading it in these last few weeks. 
he ends the book with an interesting conversation about this new life that God has invited us into. And he describes it in terms of the new life being less of some of this stuff over here and more of some of this stuff over here. The new life comes when we focus less on these things and more on these things. And to discover what these things are and these things are, go read the rest of the book. Because it becomes such an important tool for us in our continued walk with Jesus and our continuing experience with the new life. I don't know if I need to remind you or not. I know I need to remind myself Do you know that the new life that Jesus has for me and you is good? It's really good. The enemy would love to convince us that the old way is the good way, the better way. It's certainly the familiar way, but the new life is really, really good. It's good for you, it's good for other people that you care about. And today, I'd love for us to just have a conversation, not so much introspectively about our own sin struggles, areas where we're saying we're done with that, but I would love to have a conversation about it. what it looks like to come alongside loved ones and help them be done with that. You're done with that. Now let's help others be done with that. Amen, right on, woohoo, let's go for it. Because that is the gift that Jesus has given us in the church. He has given us a gift in brothers and sisters, friends, family, other loved ones who are all subject to sin and struggles and the magnetic pull of the old life, who can come alongside so that we don't have to battle sin alone. How could God use me and you and the lives of somebody around us when we help each other escape the old life and embrace the new? We need each other's help. One of my favorite descriptors of Jesus is that he was a friend of sinners. Man, thank God for that. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And what Jesus was so good at was Jesus would reach across the line of sin to draw others to himself. I mean, that's why he pursued us. That's why he came in the flesh. And then you watch while he's on earth and he's constantly stepping into the space of sinful, broken down people just like me and you to draw them to himself. Now, I want to be a friend of sinners just like Jesus was for me. I want to come alongside those that are struggling just like so many have in my life. They've come alongside me and helped me in my struggle. I want to draw them not so much to myself, but to Jesus. Jesus is our spiritual big brother. Jesus is our model. Jesus is our example. We're following his lead. In Mark chapter two, here's a brief summary that's so familiar to many of you, but it's a great snapshot of the mission of Jesus, his perspective. Look at this in Mark chapter two, verse 13. It says, then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. 
As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. This is Matthew. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Hmm. And here's one of my favorite parenthetical phrases in the scriptures. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. (laughs) All of us are sinful, broken down people. And if we're following Jesus, we've been rescued from our sin, we're freed from our sin, but we're still prone to it. And he still invites us to be in relationship with him and their culture to share a meal meant, I'm okay being in relationship with you. And so Jesus going into their home was quite the statement back then. Verse 16, but when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? You know, there is kind of a religious thing that maybe starts maybe with good intentions. You know, I don't want to get drawn into what they're doing. I I don't want to fall back into my old ways, so we separate ourselves out from sinful people. There's probably a time and place for that, but it had gone so far with these Pharisees that now they're completely separate and constantly judgmental about them, and they just don't get it. Now, verse 17, when Jesus heard this, he told them, listen, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. You know, not every single person that we're hanging out with knows Jesus. And if they don't know Jesus, they may not even know that they're a sinner. They don't even maybe know what sin is anymore. But it's pretty easy. The longer that you and I hang out with Jesus, the more aware how different he is from us. The more we're in his perfection and his goodness and his holiness, the, the more I go, ooh, man, I'm, I'm not that. And you only have to connect dots for friends and family around the brokenness in our world. There's plenty of evidence of sin all around us. We might just not have the lingo for it yet. But I love this line of Jesus that just says it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. And that's the reality of it. The sick need a good doctor, a good counselor, a good friend, a good word to hear, a good hand to hold, right? And again, you and I at this particular moment in history as the church followers of Jesus, we are a tangible representation of the the hands of Jesus and the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is a friend of sinners and wants to befriend them and rescue them and help them out of their old life into the new life. He might use me and you in that journey to help them be done with that. 
you might be the good friend first to get them to the best friend, Jesus. You might be the good counselor first to get them to the best counselor, Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. I wanna get better and better at this. One of my best friends, Logan, he's in construction and just a couple of weeks ago, he, he sent me like seven or eight pictures just kind of out of the blue. And when I looked at these pictures, I was instantly kind of horrified and sickened because of the nature of the, the pictures. Um, I'm not going to share any of them with you because it would make you squeamish. But he was on the job site and working and uh, he had his tool belt on and he had one of those pneumatic uh, nail guns in his tool belt and he reached down for another tool and his nail gun misfired and shot a nail through the palm of his hand. And that's what he was sending me pictures of. I thought it was cool, you'd think it's disgusting. <laughs> but I mean, it went right through. And, and the head of the nail was kind of stuck in there. I mean, it was disgusting. Now, if that nail were sin, I don't, I don't claim to know, I'm not a doctor, I don't claim to know exactly how you would extract that, what you would need to do, but I can tell you what Logan didn't need in that moment. What Logan didn't need in that moment was someone just to go up and grab it indiscriminately and try to yank the nail out. He didn't need that. He didn't need someone ignoring the fact that he had a big old nail going through the palm of his hand either. And he didn't need a lecture what in the world were you thinking? He, he needed someone that knew what they were doing with a little bit of tenderness and understanding and dexterity to come in and kind of navigate that situation to handle it well. And that's what you and I can be. I think there's a tendency when we see the sin and other people going on, we want to go just stop it, yank it out. Or maybe we're the personality type that just, you know what, it'll go away on its own. I'm not going to talk about it. We don't need it. I love them, but I don't love them enough to talk to them about it. Or we lecture them about it. Oh, what in the world were you thinking? Are you dumb? Are you stupid? Are you? I know those are good methods. I think it takes a sober reminder for us when we are coming into interacting with our friends or family, loved ones that are struggling to be done with that particular area of sin in their life. We gotta start with remembering we're all in the same broken family, right? But for the grace of God, he's changed my life. I know he's changed many of yours. In Romans chapter two, Romans chapter two, listen to these sobering thoughts. Paul is addressing two believers who are now interacting with sinful, broken people. Listen to this. Romans chapter two, verses one through four. You may think you can condemn such people, sinful people, but you are just as bad. Hmm. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you who judge others for doing these things why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? And then here, really good question. Verse four, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? 
take that in for a second. Just remember the kindness and patience of God toward you. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that this kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. We're all falling short of the glory of God, every single one of us. And now when I go in and I've got a loved one who's struggling, I think God does want to use me to help them in their particular struggle. But one of the best methods of help is kindness. It's the kindness of the Lord that's changed me. And it's that same kindness that can change your loved ones too. It's kindness that's going to turn their heart. It's the kindness of the Lord. But it's that kindness that God has displayed to me over and over and over and over and over and over again that's so impactful to me. And I've got to assume then that my kindness toward other sinful, broken people that I love and care about over and over and over and over and over again is going to be impactful too. Where kindness and patience intersect, there's some real Holy Spirit, God activity that can take place. Is it easy to be kind over a long period of time with people that keep making the same mistakes over and over and over and over? No, it's not. But don't forget how kind God has been toward you and how patient he continues to be with you. Can you and I do the same thing with others that we love and care about? By his grace, we can. Now, if, if you want to take notes or jot a couple things down as we wrap stuff up, I'd like to talk about two things. First, I'd like to give you just a handful of tools about what to do before you try to help others be done with that. And then we'll talk about some stuff that are actually helpful tools to to use while you're helping others be done with that. So so before, before you help others be done with that, the first thing I would just recommend is pray. If you've got a loved one that's struggling with something in particular and you're in a position to come alongside, first thing, pray. Because there's a spiritual battle going on. And if you try to go in just using your wits or your talent or your words or your skill, then we're missing a tremendous help that the Lord has offered us. When we're praying, we're inviting him into the situation. We're bringing spiritual tools into a spiritual battle. And prayer is huge. I have a friend that's in ministry, and and, uh, about two years ago, they had a young man come into their church who had a long history with addiction. He went through recovery, Jesus rescued his life, and within a few months, because he had a musical talent and background, he was a part of the worship team. And he ended up being really good. He was walking with the Lord, and the Lord was rescuing him from a lot of old way of life, and six months in, nine months in, he started to actually lead worship in different venues around the church. 
And the pastor and the worship pastor, other teammates were hanging out with them. When they started to go out about nine months a year in um, to, to lunch or dinner, they noticed that this young man would grab a beer while they were out and having, having dinner, which in and of itself, no big deal. But because of his particular background, they were a little concerned about his sobriety. One of the other pastors said, oh, we gotta call him out, we gotta talk to him, we gotta get this to stop, we gotta pull him off the team, we gotta have a conversation, we gotta stop this. I mean, the heart was care and concern for him to not slip back in, I understand that. But my pastor friend said, well, that might be the case, but first, what if we just pray? Let's do this, let's pray for him every single day for two weeks, and if at the end of those two weeks, um, we're still feeling the same and we're still noticing the same stuff, then we'll go ahead and have that, that conversation. That in and of itself would take discernment. That's not a formula. That's just what they felt like God was leading them to do. And so they prayed for him every single day for the next two weeks. Guess what happens on day 13? He knocks on the door of the pastor's office. The, he, the young man, initiated a sit-down, initiated a conversation. He initiated. He came in and he said, hey, you guys, I don't know if you've noticed, but for the last couple of months, just informal, like at a meal or whatever, I've started to have a drink here and there. And based on my background, I don't think that's such a good idea. I need your help. Would you be willing to help? And it was such a huge reminder even to them, you know, the Holy Spirit's at work. And God's a way better shepherd of his people than you or I will ever be. And we gotta keep that in mind. Let God do his job before we go in guns blazing to do our job. Let's pray for people and keep praying for people. They didn't stop praying for him after those two weeks were up. And then the next three things before you go in to help others kind of go together. One, use discernment about boundaries that you might need to put in place with particular people. Remember, you're not Jesus. And then third, rest knowing someone else might be better suited for the job than you. Those three things go together. Galatians reminds us that when we see a friend or a loved one, a brother or sister struggling with sin, that we are called to go engage with them and then restore them gently. But there's all this, this warning that shows up there too. It says, but watch out that as you're helping him in their sin struggle, that you don't fall to the same temptation. If you've been part of this series for the last few weeks, you've heard that we've each got our signature sins. There are some things that you struggle with that I don't and vice versa. And so if your struggle is the same as that struggle of someone else, then just watch out because you might have some traction on it and it might be a distant memory for you and God might use that because you can relate. But if it's too fresh for you, watch out because the enemy would love to not only keep your loved one down but pull you back into it as well. And in those cases, you might not be the best person to come alongside and help them. Someone else might be. So just keep that in mind before you wade in. You're not Jesus, Jesus is Jesus. You're just gonna befriend them. Maybe somebody else is better to befriend them. And now while you're trying to help others be done with that, here's what I suggest that you do. 
If you're jotting some stuff down, if you're helping others be done with that, then first thing I would just say is don't require people to change before you befriend them. Easier said than done. Did Jesus require you to clean up before he pursued you with his love? I I don't need to change people. One, that's not my job, that's God's job. My job is to love people. And then at some point, when it's appropriate, speak the truth in love. And so if I go in requiring people to change, well, we've got the whole thing off. Now what we're dealing with is just some sort of morality that's divorced from God's help and power. It's just some sort of religious activity. But if I can come in and just befriend first, I can go a long way. I'd also say when you do that, be as empathetic and gracious and gentle as possible. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads people to repentance. And if you can't necessarily be gentle or gracious or empathetic, again, that might be the indicator that someone else would be better to come into that situation than than you. Third, I I would say um, be transparent with your own journey. If you sit down and have a conversation, you're gonna bring up some area of struggle that you're recognizing in the life of a loved one, then please feel free to be transparent and honest with your own journey, your own struggle. As Pastor John talked about last week, our struggle with sin is not just normal, it's universal. And so for me and you to lead out with our flaws, our weaknesses, our particular struggles, that can just lay this track to say, hey, I'm no better than you. I've got struggles, they might be different than yours. But let me tell you about my journey. There's a bunch of struggles that I have personally. I I do, I have tons. There are many that would not be appropriate for me to share in this context that I would share with you in private or if we had a relationship. And there's plenty I'm not ashamed to talk about. You know, I I don't think I'm a very angry person in general at all. I I really don't. And most people that have known me my whole life would say the same thing. I'm very, very mellow. And so I used to think I didn't have any anger at all. And yet I had a counselor friend. Her name is Kat. She's from the deep south in Mississippi and She shared office space with us. She's one of my favorite people, fiery, fiery counselor, woman of God. And my goodness, she had discernment and insight for days. Kat had a way of reading you and calling you out on stuff that nobody else could quite put a finger on, but Kat could. And I was just kind of walking through the hallways of the office, popped my head in to see Kat and, hey, Kat, how you doing? Right out of the gate, she goes, Pastor Ron, you sigh a lot. Sighing is a sign of resentment. What are you resentful of? (laughs) Excuse me? See you later, cat. No, I, I couldn't believe it. I went, I'm not resentful. And the more that we talked, I went, 
oh my goodness, I might be the most resentful human being on the planet. I'm bitter, I'm resentful about this and this and this and this. It just never comes out. But my thought life is awfully sinful. And thank God that he gives me grace even in those moments. And I can begin to be honest with my God about that and with some trusted people about that. So be honest with your own journey, even if it's not the same. It speaks humility and common ground. It also might be evidence for victory, where God showed up and provided and delivered for you. Last couple of things, just listen humbly and mercifully. Emphasis on listen, listen. If you're gonna sit down with a friend who's struggling, listen more than you talk. Listen, not just to the words that they say, but try to listen to their heart. Try to listen between the lines. And when you do that, a couple of things will happen. You'll be able to zero in on the root of the issue, not just the symptoms. Hey, I'm hearing what you're saying here, and here's the symptoms, here's the behavior, but could we just talk about maybe the root of where I think this might be coming from? Sounds like you've been through an awful lot. If you're continuing to take notes, I would say this too, preach Jesus, not just a behavior change. Get him to Jesus, not just a change in behavior. Jesus is what I needed, Jesus is what you need. That's the real truth. And then while you're in that journey, then what if somebody doesn't change right away? Then what do you do? Keep loving them patiently the way that God keeps loving you and loving me. Easier said than done, right? I get it. But there's so much amazing things that can happen when you just keep caring for them, keep coming alongside them. I've got a friend who's struggling. I've got a friend who's an atheist. I've got a friend who's living a lifestyle, I understand, some of which I've known since kindergarten. And I'm still praying, still loving, still trying to pursue in relationship. I care for him. I can't imagine how much God does. And maybe over time, God will use our conversations, our relationship, to help them walk out and escape their old life and embrace the new found in, in Jesus. God loves to extend that patience and that grace to us. About 10 years ago, my son was five and he played flag football. And I got stuck coaching uh, the five-year-old boys flag football team, uh, which was great because they only knew a little bit more than I did about the game at that age. And there were like little Muppets out there. It's the last game of the season. We'd had a really good season. It's in the final minutes of the last game and the coaches could go out on the field to call the plays and huddle up with them. And so I went over to the, the boys and kind of knelt down with them and all right, boys, what are we gonna do? And the huddle of the boys in unison goes, let's give Nick the ball. Now Nick 
hadn't done anything the entire season. He hadn't scored anything. He hadn't stopped anybody because Nick was this big. Nick weighed six and a half pounds. He was 14 inches tall. I mean, this was the tiniest little guy. And so all of his buddies were like, let's give Nick the ball. Let's let him score the final touchdown. I thought, that's a great idea. I said, okay, Nick, here's what we're going to do. Nick, here's, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> Nick, the quarterback's going to hike the ball back. They're going to hand it off to you. You're just going to run around this way. The rest of the team's going to block for you. Can you do that? Nick said, I could do that. And so they did. They hiked him the ball. The other team rushed and slammed him down on the ground. He didn't even get across the line of scrimmage. We tried that same thing two more times. Still didn't work. On the third time, I looked and Nick didn't get up. I went over and picked Nick up. I picked Nick up and I, I said, Nick. I, I was holding Nick and he's crying. I said, Nick, Nick, I just have one question, Nick. Are you hurt or are you just sad? That's a question they don't ask in the NFL. I said, are you hurt? Are you just sad? He said, I'm just sad. I said, okay, we can work with sad. I said, Nick, here's what we're gonna do. I need you to turn your sad into mad. Can you do that? He said, I could do that. And we set this little guy down and they hiked the ball. The ball was an inch taller than him. And he took off and he's kicking people, karate chopping, throwing elbows, and he scored a touchdown all by himself. And the team erupted, the other team erupted. Everybody was in celebration. Brothers and sisters, friends and family, as we wrap up this conversation about being done with that, the old way of life and our struggles from sin, can I just please remind you that you and I have a God that loves to keep giving me and you the ball. You get hit and drop down. He loves giving you the ball. You failed again. Guess what? Our God is a God of grace and mercy and patience and kindness and loves to keep giving you the ball. And by his grace, he's also provided quite the huddle around us of friends and family, brothers and sisters in Christ that also love to cheer us on love to be used by God to help you. The Christian life is not an individual sport, it's a team sport. And how God can use me and you and the lives of loved ones around us to be done with that, well, we're steering into some good days to see what he can do. By his grace, he'll free us. And through us, his people, he can help free others. And so gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that there is hope. We thank you that there is freedom. We thank you that there is grace and mercy and patience that you extend over and over and over again to us. 
But Lord, we lift up those loved ones that we've got that we're thinking of right now that we maybe need to have a conversation with or befriend. Just come alongside. We pray that you would be active in their heart and their life before we even have a conversation or spend time. You know what they're dealing with. And then, Lord, we ask that you give us discernment, you give us the right words at the right time, you give us the right attitude, and you give us the endurance and the patience to walk with them patiently and love them well through their struggles. Remind us often just how you've done that for us over and over and over again. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.